this idea that have the government really done enough to cover their financial bases, obviously with this understanding that a vaccine will or will not be available in the next year. And obviously so much of the Ford estimates rely upon that knowledge that we will have a vaccine. So just to start off, as an economist, is it dangerous to plot out a recovery over the Ford estimates with such a time-sensitive plan? Look, it's uh, utterly unique circumstances, and I think that the government is taking somewhat of a risk <clears throat> with uh, assuming a vaccine will be available by the end of 2021, and, and not only available, but widely distributed as well. So they're essentially telling us that the health issue will have gone by the by the end of next year. So that is a, that is a bold um, assumption. Um, we will have... I think a, a, a good chance that even without a vaccine, we'll be able to operate in a you know COVID normal environment, which uh, may look something similar to New South Wales in recent months, if not a little bit better. But of course, that's very different to a vaccine, um, particularly in you know while we have to have social distancing and uh, international borders closed, um, it will will still be a headwind to the recovery and, and, and will mean there's certain amounts of economic activity that we can't just bring back online. So I think it is a big assumption. I think the other point to note is that they probably couldn't have gone any other route uh, in the sense that to assume that we're, they would have had to have assumed that, uh, that, that, that we're going to put this behind us at some stage. Um, <clears throat> so whether it was a vaccine by the end of next year or a vaccine by the end of the following year, or that, that it somehow the, the health issue would, would go over a period of time. So their judgment is that that's the right timeline, about a year, and that the uh, international borders will be open by the middle of 2022. But it does mean that there are some risks to this budget from the, from the health situation not improving. You've mentioned that there really aren't many options to get us out of this rut, but if you were to think about what other alternatives there are economically other than putting an enormous amount of money into the hands of Australians, or not an enormous, but certainly a windfall in terms of tax for the average Australian. If it wasn't to be that way, if that wasn't to be the roadmap to recovery, what are some other potential options that they could have explored? Well, look, the main issue right now is that we have a substantial amount of government support in the economy, or have for the last six months. The, the main um, channel for that has been through the JobKeeper program, uh, but there's also been the elevated job seeker, um, cash flow payments to business, um, and very and various other things. The bank monitorium, where basically SMEs and and, and individuals who who want to suspend or are under economic pressure to can suspend their their repayments on their loans. So the big issue is not so much. <clears throat> you know, do we need to do something more? The thing is we need to replace those emergency policies with something that's more sustainable from both a, an economic um, functioning point of view, as in to allow the economy to go back to the way it used to operate where the private sector sort of was the main game for the Australian economy, but also from an, a cost point of view, those those government programs are hugely expensive. So that's really what it's all about. Um, you know, on the on the on the idea that you know we're still going to have an economy that's under pressure for at least another year. It's just about how to go from one set of policy supports to another, um, and to facilitate a longer term recovery. Putting putting that strategy, that issue that the budget addresses face on you know, front onto the side. The question becomes. 
Well, well, can you actually sustain a much heavier role for government in direct income support to the community for a longer period of time? So it might not be JobKeeper. Um, it might be something more direct. Um, uh, and, and, and that's effectively targeting in on uh, people who are either already on social security programs or people with low incomes. And then, you know, that then becomes an ideological question. Is that the right thing over the longer term? Is that the best way to run our economy? And obviously this government said no. Um, and look, there's, you know, different views on it, but, you know, how do you make sure you get innovation and productivity happening while you've also got people being a large chunk of the population supported by the government? And that's obviously the oldest story in the book. So that's the only other route that I could see. And and essentially one is a... Is a, is a, is a, a sort of a socialist route and one is more of a capitalist route. Mm. And obviously these conventional economics that are being used here to kick the economy back into gear, do they, I understand that they would work in a vacuum, but do they work with restrictions upon movement? Obviously social distancing is going to be a reality for the next year until a vaccine rolls around. So can you stimulate an economy while putting disposable income into the hands of Australians while keeping them at arm's length from one another for the next year at least? Do you think that consumers are actually going to respond with the sort of confidence that the government are hoping this gives them? Well, I think that's a really important question um, and one of the big issues in this budget. And, and I think it's one of the reasons they didn't do the stage three tax cuts, which we know will sort of have their biggest beneficiaries for middle to higher income earners, which of course, what's the point of that? They're already saving a lot because there's restrictions on what they can spend. So those tax cuts would have no real economic impact. Um, so the question is, is the, the tax cuts that they've given, the other payments they're making, the incentives they're providing to business, is it going to work even in a COVID normal economy with social distancing and border closures and this sort of thing? And and look, I think it, it, it's, it can. Um, I think people are are finding new ways to spend. Um, and the reality is, is for, for low and middle income earners, um, you know, overseas holidays, going out to expensive restaurants or even going out to eat a lot um, are not necessarily part of their normal um, activity. And so I think that uh, a good chunk of this money will be spent. But it is an uncertainty. Um, and, and the other thing is everyday Australians, in fact, people all around the world, businesses all around the world, are faced with more uncertainty than I've ever seen in my sort of 25 years of looking at the economy and the outlook, and that in itself is a reason to be conservative and, and save a little bit more. So we have to we have to wait and see. Um, but the government has so far showed its 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 ability to target in and support those who are, are most impacted. Um, uh, and I'm sure if things don't turn out as well as they're currently expecting in this budget, that, that, they, that they can pivot again and that they can provide that direct in, in income support if it's needed in the form of a higher job keeper, a one-off payment, sorry, a higher job seeker, a one-off payment to job seeker recipients, more payments to pensioners and other social welfare recipients. So the, the, there's still room to manoeuvre. Um, but you've already mentioned before that it would be a bit of a ideological crisis of conscience for a liberal politician to support such a large scale 
sort of, sort of social welfare scheme. Um, and we've obviously spoken about the fact that a lot of these policies were always going to be temporary, at least from the Liberal Party's perspective. So do you think that this budget may be a watershed moment for not only Australian politics, but globally, where maybe this understanding of how important it is for a sovereign nation to balance it balance its own books will change. Obviously, Back in the Black was admittedly a very catchy slogan from last year's budget. Now that's absolute ancient history. But do you think that this budget may be a point in Australian history where suddenly that age-old distinguishing factor between Labor and Liberal disappears and maybe the Liberals will be just as willing to admit the fact that sometimes a deficit isn't the end of the world? Well, I think they're, they're certainly uh, going to have to admit that, um, and I think they have. Look, is this a, a watershed moment? I think that, you know, the the capacity for this government to break through its ideological constraints, particularly in the early phases of the pandemic, uh, I think highlighted something more about the Australian character um, than anything to do with politics, and that is Australians are highly principled people, but at the same time we're, we're ruthlessly pragmatic. It's part of the success of the country, and, and getting that balance right um, in our political life, in our business life, in our personal life is 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 is, is a real a real hallmark, I think, of of Australia, and that's what they did. And 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 if this means that going forward there won't be this sort of uh, complete focus on balanced budgets, and I do think that the government went a little bit overboard on that in the last couple of years. I think we could have done a bit more strategic fiscal stimulus in order to support the economy ahead of the pandemic. It wasn't going to happen under that government's watch because they did want to get a budget back in depth into balance, and I, and I, I just don't think that that that's going to be the, the same imperative on this government or any government now for the next decade, if not more. So, I think it is a big change. But the really big issue is is not that capacity to use fiscal policy. It's about how you use it, and and I hope we're also going to see a, a continuation of the use of the government's financial power um, to address inequalities, um, unfairness in in our community. And and look, they do do that, and we do do that as a civilized society, but. I think we've done that a lot better in the last year, and I think we need to continue to because I think one of the one of the sort of handful of major challenges to our society and other democracies is inequality. Um, my view is that um, the Black Lives Matter movement is as much about inequality as it is about racism, and that's in a country in America where inequality is quite severe and got worse. So hopefully the watershed moment really um, is not so much around financial management, but is around attitudes, um, attitudes to um, equality and redistribution. Which I think, you know, a society that generates wealth that does have a high level of employment um, and is successful should also look to redistribute and keep balance within the community.